Welcome to Let's Talk About Grief with your host, Addie Anderson. While death and loss are subjects that nobody likes to discuss, you need to prepare for it and deal with it effectively. On our program, we talk to professionals as well as friends and family members who have lost loved ones to help you help others and understand the grief process. Now, here is Addie Anderson. Hi, I'm Addie Anderson, and I want to welcome you to this episode of Let's Talk About Grief. This is where we gather each week to talk about all things related to grief, death, and dying. Now, today we're going to shift focus just a little bit, and we're going to look at grief from a different perspective, and that is how grief shows up in relationships. To help us with this today is my guest, Cordelia miller Muhammad. Cordelia is an educator, student, mother, wife, and consumer of all things uplifting and inspiring. Currently, she is the Director of Counseling Services at Columbia College Chicago and has a private practice called Shifa Living LLC. Now, Shifa stands for healing, and Cordelia has dedicated over 20 years of her working career helping others figure out how to live in a way that heals. She recently rebranded her practice to address what has been near and dear to her heart, and that is working with people on relationships. She works with individuals and couples in a micro-class format to teach relationship skills. She simply calls her focus relationship work because the work in creating fulfilling connections to others never stops. Cordelia sees her company as an investment in humanity and exists because of her strong belief that all people deserve the opportunity to live a life that works for them. She received her bachelor's degree from the University of Michigan and a master's in social work from Grand Valley State University. She holds a license to practice therapy in both Michigan and Illinois and has experience working with various groups. Some of her previous customers include Western Michigan University, Muskegon County Family Independence Agency, African American Women of Detroit, Illinois Early Intervention, and Chicago Corporation for Supportive Housing. She has taught and counseled more than 20,000 individuals and has a personal goal of contributing to the good of more than 50,000 people. Welcome to the show, Cordelia. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. That is a tall order, 50,000 people, but I know you will reach it. And as yes, I just I- read it. I just read in your in your bio that uh, you've been a healer for a long time. Yeah, for a while. We can yeah. Say. Yes. <laughs> so how did you how did you get into the people healing business? Well, you know, as far as I can remember, helping others has always been a part of my life. I volunteered when I was a child, but when I really kind of think about that question. Um, when I was around 11 or 12 years old, uh, me and a friend, we had an idea that we would help the younger children in our neighborhood um, with school. And we started mm-hmm. a summer school program on my friend's patio in her backyard. So mm-hmm. we didn't know anything about curriculums or any of the formalities of running a summer school program or school for that matter. We just wanted to be helpful. So we went up and down our street recruiting kids younger than us to come to our school. 
And we were very proud of our efforts. And what mm-hmm. made the day was when one of the mothers stopped by to thank us for our efforts. That was a great feeling. And I think that helped to steer me more towards the helping profession. Oh, wow. And to start that young, you know, it just appears to me that when you're that young, it's just something within you that pushes you in that direction. Definitely, definitely. And and that's why when I think about that question, I I really had to try to think back. As long as I can remember, I've always been trying to help people. Okay. And so when it comes to your business, uh, why did you decide to rebrand your practice? Well, I wanted to specialize in what brought me the most joy when working with others. So I've been in private practice in the Chicago area for more than 12 years now, and I started an early intervention where I was working with caregivers and their young children, and eventually I transitioned into treating mental health disorders. When I witnessed people learning how to show themselves compassion, um, getting back connected to their sense of value and worth, taking actions that contribute to their sense of well-being, and especially making changes that improve the important relationships in their lives, I felt just as good as I did when that mother came to me and my friend and thanked us for helping her children. So for a while, I knew that I wanted to help people with interpersonal connections. I just wasn't sure how to put things in place. So I would say Mm -hmm. for the last couple years, I've been putting a lot of thought into how how I can make that happen. And so now I have the way that I work with customers with the relationship work. Okay. And when we talk about relationships, Are we looking at um, mainly people who are in intimate relationship relationships or could it also be like friends or, you know, girlfriends, male friends or is just relationships in general? Yeah. So, like, actually, my focus is on interpersonal connections Mm -hmm. and I call it relationship work because the work of maintaining an important connection to someone, you know, actually never stops. So... Um, Over the years, I've worked with a variety of people, individuals, couples, men, women, young adults, teens, children, and I've worked with people across the lifespan. So my youngest Mm -hmm. client was five years old and my oldest was 72. And one common element for many was the presence of some type of interpersonal connection problem. So be it a Mm mother-child situation, a father-child situation, sibling to sibling, teacher to student, romantic mm-hmm. partners, peer-to-peer, co-workers, um, but this was a source of distress and anguish for them. So um, they may initially come to my practice because of anxiety or depression, but eventually the discussion would lead to conversations that mm-hmm. included elements of unaddressed grief and loss in the relationship connection. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and you know... Let's talk about relationships in the context of uh, intimate partner relationships. And let us know about grief in the context of that kind of relationship, because that is a relationship that will generally bring people to counseling. If they're having issues at home with their partner or feeling that that relationship is being threatened in any kind of way, 
they want to take action. And so when we look at that relationship, tell us about grief in the context of an intimate partner relationship. Well, so grief in an intimate partner relationship really is about separation or a broken attachment. Mm -hmm. Um, So attachment is not only to the person, we are also attached to what we envision for ourselves in the relationship. So whenever the relationship ends, then we also need to sever our attachment to what we envisioned for ourselves in the relationship. This Mm -hmm. tends to lead to mourning the loss of what we worked to create. So it's important that people recognize that this is also happening as well as other aspects of the attachment that they may be grieving, such as lifestyle change, maybe Mm -hmm. uh, breaking the attachment in an intimate relationship could lead to having less money available or less resources available. The moving from one place to another, some one person will stay if they were living together in wherever they were living and then the other person will move away. Or even sometimes the moving can lead to moving to uh, another city. Mm -hmm. So um, instead of recognizing and working through the grief process, most of us take action to jump out of the complex emotional pain in some type of a way, whether Mm -hmm. it's a rebound relationship, uh, engaging in substances, shopping, Mm -hmm. or even just getting involved in emotionless hookups. This is a few examples of how people try to cope with the pain of a breakup, not recognizing that they're grieving. Mm -hmm. Okay, and so just any kind of um, behavior that they can engage in in their minds that's going to distract from what they're actually feeling and going through, that is where they generally will go. And yeah, a lot of times it's just unhealthy. <laughs> definitely. Or, or mm-hmm. they're trying to replace the painful feelings with feelings that feel better and mm-hmm. not necessarily making choices that are in their best interest of, of engaging in something that they believe is helping them to feel better. I see. I see. And so why do you consider relationship grief and loss to be hidden, to be a hidden experience? Well, relationship grief and loss is the loss that many people deal with in isolation. They Mm -hmm. rarely have the opportunity to talk about it in detail, what they are feeling, because there's layers of what Mm -hmm. you're losing and mourning. So when I mention relationship loss, many people tend to just think of divorce. And although divorce is a type of relationship loss, it's not the only loss that happens. So Mm -hmm. there is the loss of the attachment you had to the vision of you with the the other person. There Mm -hmm. is a loss of your attachment to the beliefs involved in the connection, such as, um, like, this is the only person for me. Mm -hmm. Or some people think if I love them, they will reciprocate. So when that doesn't happen, then it's like 
breaking that attachment to that belief of what you thought would occur. So here you sit in this space of compounded emotional pain, and you dare not say what you are really feeling because Mm -hmm. then you risk hearing things like get over it um, Mm -hmm. or get on with your life or Mm -hmm. there's more fish in the sea. Um, Mm -hmm. Things like so there's someone for everyone. but. Mm -hmm. Or even someone might even just change the subject on you. Mm-hmm. So it just doesn't allow you all of these messages um, that you're, you are feeling and experiencing really is not being validated. So it doesn't allow you to feel validated. It doesn't allow you to make the experience real. So we mm-hmm. end up practicing, practicing repressing these feelings or ignoring them um, as, as, as thoughts come up about mm-hmm. the post-breakup, and um, then we're blinded to the grief work that we actually need to do. Mm-hmm. And you know what? The way you describe that, it's it's the same way with someone who is grieving the loss of someone who's died. Some of yes. the same, um, you know, the misinformation and the comments that people make, not intentionally trying to hurt, but definitely saying some of those things that will make people retreat and go within themselves and not feel comfortable uh, sharing. And that is when you risk, you know, isolating yourself and not really dealing with what's on the table. Exactly, exactly. My, I myself uh, have gone through a divorce. Uh, it was some years ago, so I've been divorced, now I'm remarried, and I really could have benefited from the knowledge that I've uncovered in working with people because I I went through the stages of grief, but I didn't necessarily know that that's what I was, was doing, what I was going through, and I just buried everything into work. I just became an workaholic, and mm-hmm. that's what made me feel better. That's what made me feel um, uh, pro- like I was being productive and I, I do specifically remember because I, I was married like eight years and I remember mm-hmm. feeling this strong sense of loss of those years but I mm-hmm. didn't tie it into relationship grief work Mm-hmm. absolutely and I would imagine that people coming to see you might be surprised to even hear the word grief come up as it relates to the loss of the relationship. Um, do you find that to be true, or it just kind of feels you, like you that? You know what? Yeah, it, actually, the experience is that when I say, oh, it sounds like you're grieving, it's, mm-hmm. it's like the light bulb comes on. It's like, mm-hmm. it, it's like here's a term or a word that finally explains to me and validate what I'm going through. And mm-hmm. so then it helps us to start really talking about what all they need to do to move through this process. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I Now, early on in relationships, right, like even if we go back before someone decides to get married or some, some a couple who has decided that they are committed to each other, do you do any kind of work with them? Let's just say like premarital work with couples um, in your relationship works program. And uh, yes. Yeah. And yes. tell me a little bit about that. How so is that different? I, yeah. Um, I've, I've conducted um, premarital coursework with people planning to marry. It actually is a 12-week course. 
that addresses um, personal values, communication. We look at types of boundaries and boundary violations. We address sex, sexuality, attachment mm-hmm. styles, finances, and, and then I really look closely at the effects of past traumas on their ability to create and stay connected to someone that they love in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. So I personalize the content based on the couple that's present. So, for example, mm-hmm. we may talk about communication. Well, if one person is an introvert and the other is an extrovert, we discuss how the extrovert will probably need to meet their social needs from more than just their partner. And then I'll talk with the introvert about their ability to support their partner getting their social needs met because this is a extrovert. But mm-hmm. the challenge for the introvert is to feel secure in the relationship and and allow their extroverted partner to meet the social needs without becoming jealous. So mm-hmm. uh, those kinds of things are talked about and what else we might, might come up that makes sense for mm-hmm. what that couple may be facing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just bringing all those things to light, putting it on the table, like how you mentioned uh, earlier when you said just using the word grief helps people to kind of have an identity of something to focus on to describe what they're going to going through, right? Yeah. So then, yes. Um, yes. you know, with with uh, you talked about being introverted and extroverted, just being able to educate, I think is the word I'm looking for, educate people. <laughs> on what's really and truly happening within this relationship and what they might be able to expect going forward gives them something, I think, to talk about and gives them a focus to um, begin healing and just kind of takes you in the direction that you need to do to make this relationship work. Yeah, I agree. And I, I like that you talked said and brought up the word educate because that's why I have the micro classes that I I offer is I found that people really needed time to learn certain language but more importantly learn more about really what is going on with me and learn about it in a safe space in a safe way and, and then have this opportunity to practice relationship skills, practice it mm-hmm. somewhere safe, opposed to sometimes your partner, because you can get triggered really easily with in, in an intimate relationship, if because of the biases that come in and other issues that can make relationship connection, intimate connection, complicated. Where mm-hmm. when you're in the space with people that you don't have a intimate connection with, and that, that can also be friends, family, uh, where you can practice the relationship skills that are taught. This is how you gain mastery. This is how you gain uh, the confidence and the competence to mm-hmm. move forward in your committed relationship with the belief that we can work things out. Mm-hmm. You know, I can see how valuable that is. How valuable that is to couples 
because a lot of times we come into these relationships broken and we don't know how to, you know, kind of make it work. We don't know how to communicate with one another. We don't know uh, a lot of times how to support the other and how to just be there as a compliment for the other. So I totally get that. So we're going to we're going to stop right here for a minute, Cordelia, and uh, take a break. But when we come back, I would like for you to talk about the stages of grief and just what you are referring to when you um, when you relate that to relationships. Okay? sure. We'll be right back. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Build a better business. Achieve that goal. Make good on that resolution. The Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit therapyoakpark.net. That's therapyoakpark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Welcome back. I'm here talking today with my guest, Cordelia miller Muhammad, and we talk, we're talking about grief in relationships. And before we went to the break, I asked Cordelia to share with us um, what she means about stages of grief as it relates to relationships. So why don't we start there, Cordelia? Sure. Well, a thought leader in our field, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, initiated talk about the stages of grief uh, based on a book that she wrote. And this, I think, was back in 1968 or 69, uh, while working with people diagnosed with a terminal illness. And in this model, it outlines the stages that the person who's facing a terminal illness tend to go through. Uh, so... Initially, the model was five stages, which was denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And then the model was expanded to include two more steps, shock mm-hmm. and testing. And okay. the testing being about seeking realistic solutions to what, what they're facing. So the steps can be experienced actually by anyone dealing with any type of a loss. So whether a death of a pet, moving away from friends or friends moving away from you, retirement, Mm -hmm. graduation, termination from a job, but non-tangible things like lifestyle as well as dreams, these are all examples. 
So the way I apply this to relationship grief and loss is I will actually see clients experience the different stages. So there's shock. And a lot of times this is the disillusionment that a person will uh, find themselves in where they're like, wow, this, what is really happening here? Mm-hmm. And so then they may go into denial or they may stay in the shock phase. And, and, and usually when you're shocked, you kind of are more numb emotionally. But then they, or they may go into denial. And so this is disbelief that this is really happening. So you hear things like, I'm cool, it's, it's all right, you know, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm moving on, this is okay, you know, it okay. is what it is. Uh, so another example of just really not connecting with, with the feelings of what's going on here. And mm-hmm. then people will experience anger. Now, anger is actually one of the stages that is acceptable People recognize that, oh, this person has went through a breakup and the person will uh, respond being angry about what happened. And sometimes they're blaming themselves. They'll be mad at themselves. A lot of times they're mad at the other person for the situation. And I'll hear things like, I can't believe they did this to me. Uh, I, I can't believe that they betrayed me. So that sense of betrayal will fuel that anger. And people will stay in that anger phase for a while, and some some people never really get out of it. Yeah. They put on, um, they'll go through life trying to connect with other people, but in a very protective way, so they're not really mm-hmm. giving of themselves or, or jumping all in. So with the, mm-hmm. the bargaining, uh, stage. This is where I'll see people struggling to try to find meaning for what they just went through, or they'll hope for change in the other person and hope mm-hmm. for reconciliation. And th- there's not a lot of talk with this particular stage because people are struggling with feeling shame that they feel this way. That I see. they want to continue with the relationship when maybe the person has walked away from it or made it clear that they want a break. Mm-hmm. And um, then we'll have people struggling with the sadness or the depressed side of the stage. And this is where they're feeling helpless or mm-hmm. overwhelmed with feelings and a lot of embarrassment and shame can come out in this stage as well. And finally, people can get to this point where they are accepting. And this is when they've come to terms with the loss. Mm -hmm. They are able to rediscover a direction that's meaningful for them. And then they are able to incorporate the best elements of that loss relationship as they Mm -hmm. move forward. So they, they actually start to feel more intact when they get mm-hmm. to the acceptance phase. So now people don't usually experience these stages in the order that I presented them. And so I don't want mm-hmm. to send the message that it's a linear experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I also want to say that there are various broken attachments that happen in the relationship that a person grieves. And, and I believe that's what makes the pain so intense and mm-hmm. makes it so compound. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, and and if anyone is able to get to that final stage that you described, I'm sensing at that point that they're able to move on and get into a new relationship without, I guess, being more healthy, <laughs> without exactly. bringing along exactly. with them a lot of the stuff that they probably had in that previous relationship. Yeah, and key is what they're able to do is not feel resentment. Mm-hmm. They're actually able to feel happy for the other person who may themselves find a, another connection that's more workable and more feeling. There's, there is no negative emotions tied to the experience or relationship at all. They've come to terms and they've gotten the benefit or they're able to see themselves in a more positive and Mm -hmm. stronger light. Yeah, absolutely. So I've heard you use the term attachment a few times, and I don't know if the listeners are aware, you know, what that means. So when you incorporate attachment styles in your relationship work program, uh, explain to us what that is so that our listeners will understand. So, um, One of the things that I do is I have participants fill out uh, a couple screening tools that reveals information about their attachment style and interpersonal problems. So this helps me to get a better idea of what kinds of barriers come up that can get in the way of them being able to attach to someone as well as what kind of barriers come up that get in the way of communicating, being understood, or understanding the other. So I'll share a few thoughts on attachment style without getting too technical. Um, All of us have an attachment pattern that informs the way we attach to other people. So our attachment style impacts our relationships with others. So it gives information on the quality of the connection that we may have with other people. So the main attachment patterns are secure attachment, preoccupied, dismissive, or fearful avoidant attachment. So Mm -hmm. I'll go into more detail with people in my course, but to give you an example of what's covered, let's say someone has a dismissive attachment style. Mm -hmm. Well, the characteristics of that style is although the person may have a high sense of self-worth, they have a low level of trust for others. So they want to be able to be in the relationship but may find that they are having difficulty feeling comfortable or closeness um, in the connection. Um, Mm -hmm. So knowing this about yourself, can be a powerful piece of information in that you can then decide what to do with that um, aspect of yourself. Mm -hmm. I say decide because I've learned that even though someone may gain insight into their behavior and feelings, it does not mean they will do the work to change them. So this is another reason why I rebranded my practice. I Mm -hmm. felt there was a need for people to have a safe space to learn who they really are, a -hmm. space that's free from judgments of the should, supposed to be, and the pressure, you know, to be like anyone other than your true self. 
So mm-hmm. yet receive, they can receive this useful information about themselves that can inform their transformation process if they choose to do so. Yeah, and that is another way that you're educating people. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know, yeah, educating exactly. them so that they can be better, a better partner, and also be better within themselves. That's excellent. Exactly. That's and I, you, you did, go ahead. I say that's what I'm hoping for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, I'm sure that's what you're getting, right? So you did talk about, as you were describing the attachment styles, you, you mentioned something about barriers. And so we know that there are tons of barriers to people, you know, changing old habits or making decisions to go in a different direction. But in the work that you do, what would you say uh, or think it might be the biggest barrier that you have seen in these relationships that make it difficult for people to move through the process? Well, so um, I think, I guess I would say not recognizing the type of support needed to move through the grieving process. So grieving in relationship, grief and loss is a personal and individual process. And some people are in tune with what they have lost in the relationship, but they don't realize when they are not receiving the type of support that will help them move through the grief experience. So with Mm. that being said, um, the best support provides the opportunity for the person to feel as though their individualized grief experience is understood and feel like it's being acknowledged or validated. Mm -hmm. Um, So this would include opportunities to be able to recognize and acknowledge their emotions, whatever emotions come up, you know, even being able to identify the emotions uh, because there is a ton of emotions, but sometimes people just only think about when they're angry or when they're sad, uh, Mm -hmm. when we have a whole list of other emotions like frustration and irritation Mm -hmm. and confusion and numbness that Mm -hmm. comes into play. Um, this also, will, with the proper support, it, it will eliminate any guilt and shame that the person mm-hmm. may be feeling about this experience or what just happened. Mm-hmm. And it can transcend the, any kind of embarrassment uh, that mm. they may have or hold. It can, mm-hmm. This type of support can manage distorted feelings uh, about themselves, uh, distorted thoughts about themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, help them work through resentments, um, just being able to talk about just this pain and be able to talk about the pain of having maybe one of your dreams crushed. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I, you know, I could say more about this, but I know our time is limited. But my point is mm-hmm. that grieving the loss associated with a broken attachment is not something to ignore. You know, mm-hmm. you just do not get over it or just move on. Yeah, you, it's something you need to deal with. I totally agree. Yeah. yeah, I totally agree with you on that. So um, now I think what might be helpful, uh, if we could just kind of talk about, let people know some of the signs a couple should be aware of to give them an indication that the relationship is in trouble. And we might not have time to go through all of this before the break, but if you start and can't finish, then we'll pick it up again after the break. 
do you are there is there anything you can share on that you think Cordelia well yeah I guess I can say briefly you know anything that threatens the connection between two people can be a sign of trouble but it all always really depends on the situation and the people involved so like Mm -hmm. I teach in my course um, that relationships are you hold hold that thought Cordelia hold that thought yeah okay so let's just stop right there Uh, Take a break. When we come back, you're going to give us some more information about what to look for in these relationships. We're with Cordelia Muhammad. We'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Are there times when you feel inadequate dealing with the difficult emotions of grieving families? Would you like to help these families but don't know where to start? If so, grief counselor Addie Anderson can help. Discover what many funeral homes already know about meeting the emotional needs of families that they serve. Be a valued resource to families during a time when they need it most. They'll appreciate your commitment to their well-being. Call Addie Anderson at 708-870-6255 to schedule a consultation. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com This is Let's Talk About Grief with Addie Anderson. If you want more information about our program, please feel free to visit TherapyOakPark.net. That's TherapyOakPark.net. Now, back to Let's Talk About Grief. Welcome back. Uh, We're talking to Cordelia Muhammad, and before the break, she was giving us uh, some signs and telling us what couples should be aware of that would indicate to them that the relationship is in trouble. So will you just pick it up there, Cordelia? Yes, I can. So I think, like I said, anything that threatens the connection between two people can be a sign of trouble. So um, I was saying I teach in my course that relationships are unique and individualized to the two people involved. So, for example, if a mother is wanting to improve her connection to her daughter, it mm-hmm. all depends on what needs to be addressed with her and what needs to be addressed with her daughter. If I have a husband and wife situation or a partnership situation in a committed relationship, it really depends on what each one of those individuals need to address. So couples cannot look at other people to determine what they need to do. So, for example, with mm-hmm. my mother and daughter situation, um, they can't look at a mother-daughter relationship of their friends and say, I want mine to be like that. Because mm-hmm. what others create that works for them is for them and not mm-hmm. you. You're responsible for creating what is needed in the connection between you and the person you are building a relationship with. So, mm-hmm. you need to enhance the attachment between you and your other, not mm-hmm. try to replicate what you see happening mm-hmm. for other other people. Yeah, you know what, I'm glad you mentioned that because as we know, 
social media nowadays can be good and bad for people. And yeah. a lot a lot of people are online and reading the posts and looking at the pictures that people are posting and most of what you see you know people post good things. So and exactly. then if you start to compare your relationship of any type with what you're seeing on social media, then I see how that could make you, you know, feel sad, depressed, or not feel like you're you're doing the best you can to enhance the relationships or strengthen them, you know, the ones that you're in. Right. And and so and your commitment to do the work to have a better relationship with someone is really not dependent on what that other person does, meaning mm-hmm. my commitment to do the work to have a better relationship with my husband is not dependent on what he does. It mm-hmm. is me taking responsibility for my part, whether he joins me or not. And yes. all of this takes skills, and these mm-hmm. skills can be taught. So, yeah, looking mm-hmm. on Facebook and thinking, oh, look at what they have, we don't know where the skill sets are. We don't know mm-hmm. whether, they, whether they even have skills, and we definitely don't even know if they are applying them and, mm-hmm. or if they're working. That, yeah, I totally get that. And the way you described it, what comes to mind for me is that tit-for-tat kind of thing. So almost like, well, if if you don't apologize to me, even though I know I need to apologize for something, but if you don't do it, then I'm not going to do it. But the way you described it, it's like we have to take responsibility for what we know we ought to do and not be so concerned with what we think someone else should do. Exactly. Because when we play the tit for tat, then basically we're not showing up and being in the relationship, what we're doing is we're making an investment. So I'm mm-hmm. going to put out, put out, put out with the expectation that the other person is going to return what I put out and maybe even with interest. And it's like, wait a minute, no relationships that are healthy don't work like that. Mm-hmm. You're solid. You're connected to your solid sense of self and worth. And so you be who you are in the relationship mm-hmm. Flaws and all, you show That's all right. of yourself. Mm-hmm. And it, the other person is challenging the same opportunity. This is what makes it fulfilling because mm-hmm. you can experience a level of vulnerability in this connection that mm-hmm. tends to send the message to you that you're okay and they're mm-hmm. okay. Yes, absolutely. And not make it conditional. Like I'll do this on the condition of this, that or the other. So let's let's move on a little bit because we've talked a lot about um, relationships that, you know, are having some some troubles and how we might navigate that. Now I want to kind of leave the listeners with something that they can think about um, when it comes to healthy relationships. So describe Describe to us what a healthy relationship looks like, because a lot of times we just don't know. Right. So, you know, I'm going to tell you, this is not a long answer. And (laughs) um, I think I'm better at talking about what a healthy relationship feels like opposed to Mm -hmm. what it looks like. And so this is a connection in which you feel free to be your true authentic self. Remember I said flaws and all. Mm. And 
want to reveal that authentic person to your partner. You want to be seen and you want to be understood. Hmm. You feel emotionally, physically, intellectually, sexually, spiritually, socially, and financially safe. Hmm. And you feel supported in living your core values. Wow. Now, that's awesome. Yeah. That, that is the type of relationship where you say you'll live in a shoebox. Yes. With your partner when you got something like that going on in your world. Okay. And, yes. and, and, and that the uh, part of the lyrics in, what's his name, um, John Legend's record. I can't remember the name of it, but he talks about how he loves her perfect imperfections. You know what I yes. mean? I can't remember the but yes. It yeah. just kind of sounds like that. That nope. Yeah, they, go ahead. Yeah. We, the people that what happens is those those imperfection innuendos, those quirks, they become mm-hmm. cute to you. You know, the mm-hmm. movie Hitch at the mm-hmm. end, um, it talks that when uh, Kevin James was just this awkward person trying to date this female, and uh, she had a lot of quirks. And that would typically turn people off. And so at the end of the story, she, the movie, she was like, oh, this is how you really are. And he was like, yeah. And she's like, oh, I thought those things were so cute. Mm-hmm. That, that's when you got a healthy connection because you don't have to be spending all this time trying to change yourself into something or someone you just is not. Yeah, that, that, is, that is a beautiful way to exist. Oh, and yeah, and I and I know that couples or, or people in relationships of any type coming to you to get education about how to coexist in that relationship, that is the ultimate, you know, to get to a place to where you're able to just be you without yeah. feeling bad about it or knowing that there is a safe place for you to be and fall and all the stuff that comes with you is accepted by this other person. Yeah. Yes. Wow. I totally understand that. That's what we want. That's what we live for. Uh, Let's see. Now, uh, I would imagine, you know, we're talking about that, you know, like that's what we want, the ultimate of being accepted. How, other than coming to you, because everybody can't come to you, right? Are there any books on relationships that you would recommend that couples read to kind of put them on that path to getting to that place? Yeah, yes. There are um, actually many, many helpful books, but I tend to refer people to The Mindful Couple, and that's Mm. by Robin, spelled R-O-B-Y-N, D. Walsher, W-A-L-S-E-R, and Dara, D-A-R-R-A-H, Westrup. W-E-S-T-R-U-P. It comes from an acceptance and commitment um, therapy framework. And then um, the Dance of Connection by Harriet Lerner is Mm -hmm. uh, really helpful in helping people recognize some of the barriers that get in the way of their ability to connect and attach. Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson um, is one of my favorite ones because mm-hmm. she brings in 
the trauma element and how it affects uh, our ability to attach and um, connect with others and just the affect dysregulation that can take place. Mm-hmm. Then there's the five love languages by Gary Chapman. I really like how it gets people to really thinking about how we tend to speak a love language to our loved one of what we like opposed to understanding what their love language is and speaking their love language. And, and that's a real um, popular one. You know, I, yeah. people that I see um, often will say that they have that book. And yes. it's one you can always go back and reread <laughs> all the time. All the time. Mm-hmm. And then um, Discovering Your Couple's Sexual Style by Barry and Emily McCarthy, last name M C capital C A R T H Y, is a a jewel that I use when I'm I'm teaching and training. And then mm-hmm. for African Americans, I actually include the post traumatic slave syndrome by mm-hmm. Joy Degree Leary. Um, okay. her last name is D E G R U Y and then L E A R Y. It's 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 not necessarily an easy read, mm-hmm. but I really think it shines the light on some of the habitual uh, patterns and uh, ways we interact with mm-hmm. each other that okay. has been influenced by our history of slavery in this country. Well, thanks for sharing those. And that's a good list that people can select from to kind of go out there and find something to help them, you know, kind of work on their relationships. But now I'm kind of envisioning like, you know, someone's listening, they're, they're um, starting to kind of decide whether or not they want this relationship to keep going and have, you know, maybe engaged and and ready to kind of take that leap to become a a couple, a married couple, or just a committed couple. Yeah. What what words of wisdom would you express? Just give them some, some words of wisdom in this early phase of that relationship that they might be able to hold on to. Well, you know, I would say um, take some time to learn what your core values are and discuss them. You may find that we all operate on some core values. So there are uh, activities that you can Google and find online that can help you uh, narrow down what your core values would be, but average about 8 to 10. And you may find that you only have maybe two in common, or maybe you have six in common. Well, connecting with someone who has more similar values, core values as yours, it it Mm kind of means that you will be able to do a lot more together because you have similar core values. Mm -hmm. But if you have someone that you actually love and care deeply about and you find out your core values, maybe only two of them that you share, well, then your connecting and relationship is going to look however you create it to look where both of you can respect each other's core values. And mm-hmm. also look at doing whatever you can to keep the connection 
safe, when people mm-hmm. don't feel emotionally safe, when they don't feel intellectually safe, like they can talk about what's important to them or they can share mm-hmm. what maybe their confusion or they don't know about, when they don't mm-hmm. feel like they can talk about their challenges with managing money or even growing up in poverty and what it means for their spending. Now, if, if they can't talk about their social connections and spend time with mm-hmm. their social connections in their social circles, and then it's not safe. And mm-hmm. when you don't feel safe, then mm-hmm. it's just really, really hard to, to get that fulfillment that, that we're looking for. That's true. And, you know, I think we have to pay attention, as you keep saying, to how we feel. You know, like if something comes up and it doesn't feel right to you. It's like those red flags just kind of flashing everywhere, but oftentimes we choose to ignore them or think that they will eventually go from red to green, (laughs) you know, just magically, which, you know, doesn't happen. So it's about being in tune with yourself and, um, and, and, and knowing that you have the ability to know when something is just not right. Not to say that you should end it, but at the same time, it's your clue that you need to kind of do something with this. Exactly. So at what what point uh, would someone contact you to participate in your relationship work program, Cordelia? Anytime someone is wanting to enhance their ability to be in a relationship in a healthy way. So I, I find people who tend to come to me are either they've been in previous relationships and they're nervous about getting in a new relationship and so they really kind of want to do some work on themselves to mm-hmm. be present mm-hmm. in the new relationship in a healthy way. But then also I have work with couples that are having difficulty maintaining their connection and attachment and so they learn some of the relationship skills that I teach and it helps them to better figure out okay what do we really need to do to heal this so that that's also a a group that would be appropriate for my relationship work program mhm so you you kind of you can get them at any any place any span within that continuum of where they are uh, in needing to work and heal that relationship. So that's excellent. Yeah. Do you also work with yeah. same-sex couples? Does it matter? A couple yeah. is a couple. <laughs> you know what? Yes, I work with same-sex mm-hmm. couples, but um, what best reflects relationship work, teaching and training that I offer is to say that I work with heterosexual, lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, queer, intersex, asexual, well, demisexual well, individuals. Well, thanks well, thanks. Thank you. Thanks for sharing that. I want to thank you. We're coming up at the end of the show. I want okay. to thank everybody for listening. Uh, you can reach Cordelia at CordeliaMuhammad at gmail.com. If you have a show yes. idea or would like to be a guest on the show, please email me at letstalkgrief at gmail.com or you can call me. I'd love to talk to you at 708-870-6255. Be sure and listen next week when my guest will be funeral director Charles Heatsman. Thanks for listening and have a wonderful week.
Thank you for tuning in to Let's Talk About Grief. Please join your host, Addie Anderson, again next Monday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Until we speak again, be there for a loved one who might need you this week. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program.